You are listening to the Gospel Project for Adults Weekly Leader Training. Welcome to this week's episode of the Gospel Project for Adults Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This is Daniel Davis. This week we are starting a new unit, Unit 18, titled For Look, The Day is Coming. And we are looking at Unit 18, Session 1, titled A Rescuing Queen. In what is surely remembered as one of the darkest periods of Israel's history, the Babylonian exile cast a pall over everything that had set God's people apart from the rest of the world. They were not in their home, the Promised Land. They couldn't worship in the temple, which had been leveled. And their distinct identity, according to the Law of Moses, was being threatened to be swallowed up by that of their captors. Worst of all, it was all their fault for turning their backs on their God. The Lord who brought them out of slavery in Egypt, who led them into the promised land, who made them into a kingdom, who provided for them and protected them, this strong, gracious, and loving Lord the people rebelled against by pursuing other gods that influenced other nations. This was a shocking display of disregard and ungratefulness, hard-pressed to be rivaled. Yet the Lord hadn't turned his back on his wayward people. They felt the sting of their sin and severe consequences that the Lord arranged and brought against them. But the Lord didn't abandon his people to complete destruction. He preserved a remnant so that his purpose and glory would continue to stand. At the end of Israel's forced exile in Babylon, the Medo-Persian king allowed the Jews to return home and begin rebuilding their lives in Jerusalem and Judah, which some did as their hearts were stirred up to do so. And so began a new phase of Israel's life, some at home and some away. Because many Jews didn't go home, what was to be their fate? As we get into this session, here's the situation. The Jews were free to return to Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt after some years of opposition. And in the midst of a godless nation's rule, Yahweh was still arranging the situations and paths of his people to prove himself faithful. We see this somewhat anonymously but clearly in the book of Esther. With point one, we jump about halfway into the narrative of the book of Esther to examine a central passage in the book, revealing that God's salvation comes through a timely risk. Seeing that we are a few chapters into Esther, you will likely need to provide a bit of context. The commentary on leader page 107 will help you do this briefly but I would also encourage your group members to keep up with the suggested Bible readings for this session in their daily discipleship guides, which will take them through the book of Esther in five days, allowing them to read and discover the context for our opening passage themselves. This passage in Esther 4 challenges any notion we believers might have that God blesses his children with an easy life. But surely we have all been disabused of this notion just by the mere fact that living in this world and not of it is difficult. The situation that arises in Persia through the scheming of a man named Haman puts all the Jews throughout the Persian Empire in mortal danger. This wouldn't have been confined to Susa, where Esther and Mordecai resided, but would have reached all the way to Jerusalem and Judah and beyond. All of God's preserved remnant were facing destitution and death except that there was a Jewish woman who had been made queen to the king of Persia. What a coincidence. Someone might have the king's ear and have the potential influence to effect some sort of change in her people's current predicament. 
but that opportunity wouldn't come without a risk. Esther would have to risk her life if she were to help rescue her people. It is at this point that the uniqueness of the book of Esther most clearly reveals the Lord's presence and influence. As the leader commentary states, the book of Esther doesn't mention God, prayer, the temple, or Jerusalem. But Esther calls for a fast, surely as a means to seek the Lord's favor and wisdom. Mordecai subtly hints at the Lord's sovereignty, saying, Who knows, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. He couldn't declare this with absolute certainty, but he couldn't dismiss the coincidence of Esther being where she was as queen to the king who could do something. And then there is the faith-filled resignation on Esther's part. I will go, and if I perish, I perish. What is this but a work of God in a person's life? Esther was going to enter into this risk of life or death without knowing the outcome, either for herself or her people. But she recognized the wisdom in Mordecai's words, the sovereignty of God in her position, and the opportunity before her to rescue her people. So she fasted, and then she went. The subject of risk in the Christian life may be taboo or simply untouched in thought and conversation because of the difficult details associated with a risky act. Now, as from Esther's example, we shouldn't view risk as an expectation, throw caution to the wind, and fly by the seat of our pants, to use a couple of phrases. Rather, the risk involved in the Christian life is informed by God's word, God's character, and our faith in Jesus Christ, who himself laid down his life for our salvation. Believers enter into situations that entail risk. Missionaries called by God take themselves and their families into foreign lands to share the gospel, even though that may result in violence and even death. And it has. Believers may have to make an unpopular stand in the workplace for the sake of truth, justice, and or the character of God. And they could face retribution. And they have. Believers may adopt or provide foster care for children in need. And this can come with a host of difficulties and heart-wrenching, agonizing results. And it has. But each of these examples may have a complete opposite and cheery result. And they have. As Esther concluded, the result was out of her hands, but she was convinced the risk was worth it and a part of the Lord's plan. Believers step out in faith with all the wisdom the Lord provides in His Word and for the asking, and that step of faith into risk brings glory to the God who guides our steps, even if the results aren't the ones we would expect or hope for. In point two, we move ahead to chapter eight after Esther's successful approach to the king, and we see that God's salvation comes through a timely intercession. With the enemy Haman out of the way because of his own arrogance, with his scheme being turned back on his own head, Esther and Mordecai pleaded with the king for Haman's decree that threatened all the Jews to be overturned. This was the opportunity Esther had fasted for to rescue her people. But with Persian law, that decree could not be revoked yet it could be counteracted with a new irrevocable decree, one that Esther and Mordecai were given the king's permission and authority to draft. Finally, in point three, we see God's salvation comes through a timely victory. Mordecai and Esther's decree was written, sealed, and carried all over the kingdom. When the enemies of the Jews rose up against them on the appointed day, 
by virtue of this new decree, the Jews were granted permission to defend themselves, and as with Haman, to turn their enemies' schemes back on their own heads. The Lord sovereignly placed both Esther and Mordecai in their positions, worked through them to influence the Persian king, and secured the salvation of the Jews so that everyone of every nationality feared them. Amongst all the peoples of the Persian Empire, the Jews, God's people, attained a status of distinction that no doubt would have caused the peoples to ponder the power and sovereignty of the God of Israel, the Lord. Though the threats, the circumstances, and the drama behind it all were harrowing, the Lord worked everything out according to His timing and His good purpose. Had the decree to wipe all of the Jews off the earth been fulfilled, God's promise to provide the Messiah through Abraham's descendants would have failed. Instead, God brought salvation to His people through Esther, who interceded for them at great risk to her own life. Instinctively, we recognize the value of such a sacrifice, the willingness to lay one's life down for the benefit of another, even a whole people group. Why do we recognize this value? Because the Lord created us to do so, so we would recognize the infinite value in the sacrifice of one to come. God would provide a greater salvation, one from sin and death, through Jesus, our Savior and Lord, who interceded for us and laid down His life on our behalf. Because Christ interceded on our behalf, we recognize that God has placed us where we are at this time to share the gospel with others so they might be saved, even if it comes at great risk to us. So this week as you teach, ponder that you have been placed in this position for such a time as this. And think of ways to help your group members ponder the ways that they have been placed where they are for such a time as this. Thanks for listening to this week's leader training for the Gospel Project for Adults. For more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.